when it was commissioned, Imperial Research Station 37 was home to nearly 10,000 scientists and researchers working on a vast array of biological and chemical projects. Then, six months before the outbreak of the war, Station 37 went dark. No escape pods were launched, and all attempts at communication went unanswered. Only a solitary, repeating broadcast filled the silence. This station is under quarantine. Do not approach. When the war came, the station was forgotten. Left to drift lifelessly in its empty system. Now, in the aftermath of the long war, Station 37 has been rediscovered and its broadcast heard once more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games out there that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to dig into the games that my guests enjoy playing, that talk to the people who create these games, and to talk about big industry events. Now, ladies and gentlemen, this is a special episode for a couple of reasons. And you know how I love to talk about being special reasons. But Halloween is Cast Dice's birthday. It is uh, the date where this show kicked off for the very first time. And so we like to do something a little fun and a little different every single Halloween. And this one is no different. And if I'm going to have anyone on to help me celebrate some cool new games, either one that I've just picked up and started enjoying playing, and another uh, that I'm looking forward to getting in the mail, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. It's got to be a man who's been on this show before that I love talking to and who loves exploring game systems and miniature lines as much as, if not more than, I do. Of course, I'm talking about the man, the myth, the legend, the one and only Pete West. Welcome back to Cast Dice. Always a pleasure, Brad. Happy podcast birthday. Thanks, man. Uh, it is. Uh, it's good to be here. It's uh, it's pretty exciting, I gotta say, to uh, to be uh, just to keep doing the Cast Dice thing. I'm I'm really excited that this show keeps going, and uh, despite all the lockdowns that we're both in, uh, although it looks like <laughs> perhaps there is light at the end of the tunnel for both of us, I know I snuck in a cheeky game on the weekend, not breaking any rules. Melbourne has actually just slightly come out of our lockdown. We have about another two weeks before we come out fully, but uh, according to the new rules that went into effect last Thursday at midnight... I was able to have a guest in my house, and uh, Drew from Beyond the First Marker came over, and we played a game of Marvel Crisis Protocol, and damn, was it good. Have you had a chance to uh, game again? Because I know for a while you guys were locked down too, Pete, you being in Canberra. Yeah, we uh, we have come out as well. As of um, last Friday, the gaming store opened up again, so... I haven't actually managed to get there yet, but I've now got a couple of games lined up and ready to go. Um, Hopefully, I will be playing some Saga in the not-too-distant future. Brilliant, man. Oh, that's got to feel good, right? 
Looking forward to it. I was very <laughs> jealous when I saw your Facebook. Yes. Well, hey, both of us did uh, try to combat that by playing solo games recently. You and I both played games from Quarantine 37, which is what I just read at the beginning of this episode, the little uh, preamble from it, which is the solo attachment for Stargrave. Now, it's not just solo. There are cooperative and competitive uh, scenarios in that expansion as well. But uh, a lot of people keep referring to it as the solo expansion because it has uh, Stargrave's solo rules in it. Now, of course, there were free solo rules in a, in a PDF that are uh, free uh, from the Osprey website, which is a bounty hunting uh, set of scenarios, which look awesome that I haven't tried yet. But this is something very different. And as it's Halloween, I thought it would be great to invite you on and ask you to, if you wouldn't mind playing a couple of these games as well. One, so we can both play games. B, so we can, you know, talk about them. But also, <laughs> so we can play space zombies and or aliens. Uh, which, you know, I think worked pretty well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be playing space zombies? <laughs> right? All right, so talk to us a little bit about your experiences. Now, the way this works for this, um, there are four solo scenarios, right? There's two where you're facing space zombies and two where you're facing aliens. You played the zombie scenarios quite a few times, um, and I played them once um, because work blew up on me, and I sadly didn't get more in, but I still had a blast doing it. Um, Pete... What was your take on this? Because there are two solo scenarios in this game. Um, do you feel like you had a good solo experience, or did you feel like this was sort of a, a bolt-on um, that you know was a nice? How should I say it, it was? You know, nice once or twice, but you're not sure if you're going to do it again. Um, well. I mean, I quite enjoyed my games. Um, as you know, I, I took more than one swing at it because the first time around I got the core combat mechanics wrong and I was I was uh, complaining how hard it was and then uh, <laughs> I reread and actually, oh well. <laughs> what do you know? Reading the rules helps. But uh, no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, no, as I said, who doesn't want to fight space zombies? I mean, I missed the whole Space Hulk thing that was never, I never really got into that or mm -hmm. that passed by so um yeah um having a go at some space zombies with a cowboy crew was um i thought a lot of fun and at the end once i'd actually figured out the rules that they're all really close games um and i thought you know, really i was surprised at um how well the solo uh rules were balanced like i played four right. games and all of them were very close um so it wasn't just a fluke that I played one game that worked out okay. They obviously, and you know, no surprise, but Joe McCullough knows what he's doing and has produced a really well-balanced um, solo set of scenarios. Exactly right. Um, now, the very first scenario, uh, you get to use half of your normal size crew. Now, in Stargrave, just like in Frostgrave, you have 10 models. You have your captain, you have your first mate, and then you have eight crewmates or soldiers as they can be called in some of uh, Joe's games in Frostgrave for example you have your wizard and you have their apprentice and they have to be the same quote-unquote class or type of wizard 
the cool thing about Stargrave is um, you can have, and there are eight character classes in the base game, and there's two more in this new Quarantine 37 book. Uh, and what that means is your captain is sort of one character class, and your first mate can be another one. And so you can mix and match, and you can do different things, and then you have uh, a certain number of points, 400 credits, to hire the other eight people. Now, the cool thing about that is there are free characters as part of that. So if you want to buy a couple of sort of uber power, power armor dudes slash, you know, really high level a flamethrower trooper or a machine gunner or, you know, someone with a grenade launcher, that's great. And then you can round everything out with just cheap runners and recruits who aren't very good in the game, uh, but you still get them on the tabletop. Normally, as I said, you get 10 models. Now, when you play these solo scenarios, unlike in the bounty hunting ones where you actually play with your full crew, in this one, you're playing with half a crew. So when I played it, I played with my first mate and I had four crew members. So I had five models and you did the same. In the first mission, uh, you have to, it, it basically plays out that you and your buddies are trying to get to the lifts as the zombies are starting to close in. And you run into a room and the lifts on the other side of the room and there's two lift exits and you're trying to get your crew out. Only a certain number of guys will fit in each lift which didn't matter in my case. <coughs> Spoilers. Um, <clears throat> and um, as you go, the, the, the zombies start to, to pour into the room and you need to get out uh, and you can get bogged down. Now, along the way, you can either try and break into a safe and get some physical loot or you can try and break into a terminal to get some um, data loot, which you know will help you later in the game. I just sort of imagined hey, you know, the Death Star plans, et cetera, um, and there's a computer terminal. So I sort, of, I sort of went down that side of the board, hit the terminal, and then tried to get to the lift. And um, I, I learned from your mistakes on um, how to get to make sure my combat was right because it turns out I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm glad um, I, I did that. But I also missed the fact that zombies can cause uh, terror, and so I, even I didn't play it right. That said, my God, did I have fun. It was such a blast. But before I talk about my game, Pete, tell us a little bit about your playthrough of the first mission. How did it go for you? Uh, it, um, <laughs> it didn't go very well for all the crew, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, oops. Uh, <laughs> so... My five I took were uh, my captain, first mate. Um, I had two soldiers, I want to say. I don't think that's quite the right terminology, but these were the actual trained um, soldiers. Mm -hmm. And I had one heavy gunner who happened to be a robot. So um, it, um, they went for the data. Uh, and I don't know whether it was game design or, but the way it worked out was actually really cinematic. Like the, the zombies, um, started piling up very quickly. Uh, and my crew was sort of, um, holding the line while the captain and the first mate went in to grab the data. And then, um, the zombies just started popping up behind us. And mm -hmm. in the end, um, certain crew members got cut off and, uh, unfortunately had to be left behind for the good of the mission oh no 
<laughs> and um, uh, the, the fate of the one crewman who stuck around and tried to save his comrade was not good. So, <laughs> so Pete, what you're saying but, is if we're ever being chased by a bear, I should run the other way uh, just in case you <laughs> kick me in the knee and try just that old axiom. You don't have to outrun the bear. You just have to outrun the other guy. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, in space, no one can hear you scream or report your, your heinous acts. Um, <laughs> nice, nice. Uh, it was really fun. It, it, it was a real squeaker. They just made it to the lift, and um, I got, I, I must admit, I got quite a lucky roll on getting that lift open because that um, my first my first attempt had ended very badly when uh, the lift doors wouldn't open, um, combat rules or not, and mm-hmm. uh, I got rather. I got rather overwhelmed, but I got a lucky roll and they got in the lift and the captain, and the first mate managed to uh, make it out. Um, everyone else uh, is fondly remembered by a plaque on the bulkhead of the, uh, <laughs> on the, the ship. Of the ship. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, was that using your veteran or is that using your other uh, character? Uh, so my crew was, my crew interestingly was largely dictated by the models I had on hand, yeah. to be honest. Um, I do, I do have a Stargrave plan, and I've actually got some figures coming from a Kickstarter. They just haven't quite landed yet, mm-hmm. so um, that will be forthcoming. But uh, uh, my crew was made up of some models I have at hand, so I had a nice cigar-chomping uh, military veteran. Brilliant. was my captain. Um, I had a – my first mate was a cyborg who had a bit of a steampunk fetish, and mm-hmm. uh, so a top hat and a, a grab arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robot with a gun and um, two might be Judge Dread type, uh, sorry, um, uh, Judge Dread universe type um, gangers who made it, filled out my soldier slots. So nice. That was what my crew was, and um, I was quite attached to the captain. I quite liked that cigar chomping figure, so I was very happy he made it out. Mm-hmm. Whereas, not to sound repetitive with my gameplay spoilers, I had a very similar experience in a, in a great way. I took a, I wanted to do something different. So I found out what you were taking and I did, I went to my old pile of sort of odds and ends GW models from armies that either I no longer own or some Inquisitor and Inquisitor retinue models that I had a million years ago when I was using my Imperial Guard and as sort of uh, an, an inquisitorial force. Uh, I sold the guard army, but I kept the Inquisitor and the crew. So my force was a Psyker. It was um, a beautiful Imperial Guard um, Psyker model uh, that Patch painted a million years ago. And it was absolutely sensational. And I used that as my uh, first mate. I had two old... Imperial Stormtrooper models from Games Workshop, uh, the ones that look like they're in a SWAT team. Uh, both of them had melter guns, but because they matched, I figured they could just be carbines and just use them as regular rifles. I had a hacker, which was a little guy holding a book. Uh, and I had, I wanted to do a sort of just a basic free guy. Uh, so I took, I, bel- uh, I just a recruit, but I had this sort of weird robot servitor that was more robot than humanoid. It would basically kind of look like a Gronk droid without legs, but with tracks. And so that was my last member of my crew. Um, and at, like you, I, I started out and made a beeline for the old 
uh, data terminal in the corner. Meanwhile, as the zombies came in, they started only coming from one direction in my game. And so I kind of had the soldiers and the recruit trying to hold them off. But um, they were very quickly overwhelmed. Um, meanwhile, the hacker was able to hack the terminal. And um, my psyker kept failing to use their abilities. And so I kept running along and shooting zombies in the head. And weirdly in my game, because some of the zombies in the first mission are quote-unquote soldier zombies, um, they're holding guns and they sort of wave them at you and pull the trigger. Not terribly accurate, but the, I, the way that I sort of played the AI in the game was I figured while they were shambling forward, they would just pull the trigger at the closest thing. Well, in that case, it was often to the people who are already in hand-to-hand -hand combat. And so, according to the rules, you randomize shooting. My, my two soldiers weren't terribly good at shooting the zombies before they were in hand-to-hand -hand combat, but man, the zombie soldiers were sure good at shooting zombies. <laughs> so, I ended up, uh, I was using a bunch of my old Plague Marine models as the uh, zombie troopers, and man, they were headshotting zombies left, right, and center. It was crazy. Uh, so I actually got helped by the zombies in this game. I, I don't think that counts as cheating. But um, yeah, very quickly they started coming from other corners and I was in trouble. Everyone got overwhelmed and um, the hacker made it to the, to the lift, pressed the button, just like in your game. Lift was broken. Oh no, what's going to happen <laughs> now? Uh, and I was able to hack the doors uh, because it counts as a computer terminal. And then literally door opens, he falls in, my uh, first mate dives in after. Meanwhile, there's, I took a picture of it. There's something like 12 or 13 zombies within maybe seven or eight inches of the door. And it was like, oh, oh, this is real bad. This is real bad. And game over. But yeah. <laughs> And neither of those characters were bitten. I mean, because there there is the rule that if someone's bitten, of course, they have to hide the bite. Uh, and then that means they might turn into a zombie in a later game. However, not in this case. Um, both of them made it out. Everything's fine. It's nothing to see here. Uh, and I haven't, <laughs> I haven't played the second mission. Uh, but yeah, how much fun is it, man? So cinematic. I'm so glad you said that. It was like, it was like playing a scene out of a movie. Yeah, I'd, it was great fun. And in fact, my second mission was even more cinematic. Um, there was this just great moment. So in the second mission, it's got this random force field that generates across the, the area based on random die rolls. And mm -hmm. so, like, literally, I had two crewmen standing next to each other, covering each other, and then the force field shifted. And it literally went between the two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't know, I mean, given random measurement and all that, I mean, how unlucky is that? But, I mean, mm -hmm. they were standing almost shoulder to shoulder, and the force field literally just went between the two of them. And shortly after that, like, all the zombies who were stuck on that side of the force field just converged on this one poor crewman and ate him. It was, it was quite epic. Um, you can, you can almost just... see that scene in the movie, and the other guys looking on in horror yeah. going, you can just see everyone standing on the other side of the force field watching him getting eaten. It was uh, really uh, great. In fact, that, that whole second game uh, was really good. Uh, it sort of played out very similar in terms of the outcome to the first one, but it just had a couple more cinematic moments. There was a, 
towards the end, I'd set up like a conga line of um, crewmen and my gun robot and my first mate and captain between the data thing and the lift to keep open a corridor to get the data to the lift. Mm-hmm. Um, and a zombie popped up right, be- right behind my gun robot, which was, the- he was the middle of the sort of the corridor keeping things open and got eaten. So, (laughs) and he was really unlucky. One zombie attack and he was taken out. And so I had one, one crewman left on the far side of the one corner of the board and the captain, the first mate heading towards the lift. And once again, there had to be a difficult decision made as to whether to go back for the crewman or not. And um, his sacrifice was greatly appreciated by the (laughs) captain. The first mate. (laughs) Ouch! It's a, it's a pretty rough crew to be in. <laughs> the the uh, retirement plan is not very good. I was gonna say, yikes, Pete! You uh, you're gonna have trouble recruiting people shortly for this crew. <laughs> yep. <laughs> now you mentioned something there um, that I want to talk about because. In researching this, I'd never played Frostgrave. I, I own Frostgrave version one. I own Frostgrave version two. Uh, I own a couple of the expansions. I just recently got the Perilous Dark expansion, which is the solo expansion for Frostgrave. Because if you read uh, in Quarantine 37, there's a whole section about if you want to do more solo gaming, I highly recommend you adapt from that book. And so I got that. Um. And I just, as you said, I love reading Joseph's, just the way he writes missions. As a kid, I I basically learned to read reading game books, role-playing game missions or scenarios um, or campaign books were some of my favorite. I love the story elements. I love the way that you kind of got the the over-the-shoulder view of the story that was being told of these adventures through the game master's eyes um, in these in these books, and I just I loved it, and this makes takes me back to that. But the thing, while the missions are always fantastic in Joe's games, the thing that you always see online is people describing the games, both Frostgrave and now Stargrave, because they use similar mechanics as. And I'm going to use the giant word here, guys. Here comes the air quotes. They're swingy. And I didn't understand what people meant. Um, because you are rolling two 20-sided, it's an opposed test when you go to attack someone. So you both roll 20-sided dice. And then you add whatever the characteristic is to that. And then there's modifiers. And the person who has the higher score wins. They achieve the hit. Um, or their gun, you know, achieves the hit if they're the one shooting. And then you compare the final dice total to the person's armor. Um, and then that is what gives you the damage done to the model. So it's possible that you succeed in hitting, but their armor blocks it completely. And there were a few moments in the game where, as I said, my soldiers were lining up against zombies. They were shooting and they couldn't hit a barn. And I was thinking, man, this feels real bad. I understand what people are saying about, you know, the, the, the swinginess of this because a couple of these random zombies with guns are meanwhile gunning down their buddies to get to my guys. Meanwhile, my guys can't hit a barn. Then I actually did the math. The great thing about a 20-sided dice is each pip is about 5%. And I was getting, you know, like, oh, I'm not hitting when I was 
rolling like I had a 60% chance of hitting. And then went, oh, well, yeah, there's a reason I'm not hitting. I actually don't have great odds here. And yeah, there's a couple of lucky hits by the zombies. But when I started thinking about it in that way, I, I, didn't, I didn't have those feel bad moments. Did you feel the swinginess? I mean, do you, have you heard this criticism before? How did you feel about this? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've certainly heard it before. Like back in uh, in Frostgrave version one, I remember Neil Shuck on Meeple's a Miniature doing a review and the, his review was very swingy. Um, but I look, so for example, with that moment where my robot gun robot got taken out, um, the robot happened to roll a, uh, sorry, the zombie happened to roll a straight 20 and my robot mm. rolled a three, I think. Um, That'll do it. And, yeah, that'll do it. You feel the swing, you know, you get the plus five for the 20 as well. But mm-hmm. you, it's at those moments, I guess, you feel the swinginess. You're rolling two 20-sided dice. So you, there's just going to be these times where there's these huge results. Um, but I don't know. I, You know, the more I think about it, it, it's more a case of perception. Like, does it really matter if you're rolling a six-sided dice and you die because you rolled a mm-hmm. three and the other guy rolled a six? Um yeah. versus a 20 versus a three. I mean, it's just a way of obtaining a result. And, yeah, I, you know, I, different ways of doing it. I didn't feel bad about it. It made for a very dramatic moment in my game, that's for sure. As I mm-hmm. say, the key linchpin, my escape plan, just got um, smashed in half in one, in one turn. Mm-hmm. But that, uh, you know, that actually made for a very cinematic moment. My crewman was cut off. He uh, fought valiantly and took out another three or four zombies and then was just completely overwhelmed. And the captain uh, wrote a nice letter to his widow um, <laughs> and sent a check for 20 bucks. Um, so, you know, it, it, I did. It, it certainly made for a cinematic moment. And I think, you know, it's a game. Don't dwell too much on exactly. how you got the results. What's the, what's the story you tell about the results, I think, particularly with a game like this. I know, right? I, I like this game just feels fun to me. It is it's not something I don't think I'm going to play for sheep stations ever. Uh either I'm going to play it solo uh and enjoy the way that it runs out. I really want to play the bounty hunting missions because they are so well written. Um just by the the characters that you're hunting down, their their crew of goons and the missions, the different missions that you play or the different places, the locales and the scenarios within those locales. It's just extremely well-written. Um, it, it, God, reading through that, I was like, yeah, I want to play that. Yeah, I want to play that. Yeah, I want to play that. Whereas, you know, sometimes when you read games and you look at missions, you go, yeah, that one's pretty good. Yeah, that one's pretty basic. I've played that before. But to look at that bounty hunting book, I was like, yeah, that, now that is what I want. But for me, I don't know if the swinginess is any different than like playing bolt action and saying, oh, I need a six on six. Cool, I hit, no problem. Or that that moment where um, I hit, I got the six. Oh, uh, I wonder if I can take out your sergeant. Oh, I rolled another six. Yep, critical damage. Cool, I'll take him. Thanks, bro. It, it didn't feel any worse to me than that, and I like that. So, yeah, I just had a lot of fun with this. I guess what I really want... I, I maybe more granularity from the characters. I felt like I, I really had a good sense of who my my captain was, and I had a great sense of who my first mate was, and then everything else was like goons. 
And maybe I wanted more from the goons. But, um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, uh, Man, I had such a good time with the game. I'm definitely going to play more of it. Uh, and if you guys, if you haven't, if you've picked up Stargrave and you've been locked down and or just struggling for people to play with, either get that free download, the Dead or Alive book. Um, it's on the Osprey website. It's free. It's great. Or um, the Quarantine 37 book, not expensive. Um, it retails for 30 bucks US. It's got a ton of missions in it. Um, extra character classes, new soldiers to round out your crews. And yeah, the zombies, the aliens, and so much more. Uh, sorry, Pete, what were you going to say? I just, I think it's about how you go into the game. I think, as you rightly said, you're not playing for sheep stations in this game. In fact, if you're going into this game as a very competitive sort of approach, at least in terms of I want to kill my enemy, that you're not going to enjoy yourself as much. Right. I'm, I think it's about really about the story. And in fact, you know, I'm not even sure you should be trying to kill your enemy. You know, you might be playing against someone, but you can completely win this game just by playing the story and collecting the the clues and the well, the items in this particular game. And and it's part of that building up the story. So, for example, the crew I've actually got on order is a very sort of pulpy Flash Gordon type. And so, nice. you know, I, I'm, I'm invested in those characters to begin with just because I like that um, whole pulp um, uh, sort of theme. So I think that that's going to help you immerse yourself more in the game when you're invested in the crew and invested in the story. And if you just want a game to go and shoot people and figure out who won by who killed the most, it's perhaps not the right game for that. Yeah, it is definitely not that game. Although the more I read this game and then after I played, I went through all my figure cases and was pulling out all the bits and pieces from different places. They were like, yeah, I don't have that army anymore. Oh, I won't get rid of that model. I still have it. And I ended up with almost a full shelf in one of my display cabinets of old models either that I painted or gifted to me by friends um, from all my days of playing 40K. And was like, wow, I actually, I actually have a, a lot of models to play this game with. And that was really exciting. But I was then looking at, um, looking at all that thinking, oh, is there like a coherent force or something? Because I really want to try the bounty hunting scenarios and i, I kind of want him to visually pull together wonder what i could do and it reminded me because this this game gives me very strong like early 40k rogue trader uh feels like first edition 40k and i went ah oh. when i was a kid my the guy who I played with, uh, the only person I played 40k with was my was my best friend Jason. Um, Jason introduced me to gaming when I was in <coughs> kindergarten, and um, basically is the reason why this show exists today. Um, thanks, Jason. Jason and I are still friends. I see him every time I go back to Boston. But he stopped playing mini war games when he went to college. Uh, he still plays. He's an avid board gamer. He plays all sorts of other games. But he never went back to tabletop um, as far as miniature wargaming tabletop goes. And a couple of years ago when I was home, um, his parents uh, were saying, hey, you know, we're moving house. We're renovating. Um, we have all this stuff of yours in the attic. What do you want us to do with it? And this is the same friend who had, um, that I played G.I. Joe with. And so I think he kept the G.I. Joe for his son and then did a lot of other things with his, you know, put books on the shelf, 
from his old library and did stuff like that. But then he ended up with this box of miniatures. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. So he handed them to me. And so I have his rogue trader orcs that he painted in the 1990s. Um, And I mean like er, mid, early 1990s. God, early, because I went to college. He went to college in 1993. So... Yeah, it would have to be late 80s, early 90s. And so these are Rogue Trader era orcs. And every now and then I pull them out and I look at them. And it's it's he's painted them using like old style paints. That some of them I think he used enamels for some of them, but then he used like really old acrylics. And you can tell they're old paints. They're they're like not but today's standards at all. And he's, it's a very old style. There's a little bit of highlighting here and there on some of them. Like, he was clearly learning as he went. But there's, like, 20 models out of this army that are probably better painted than I can paint today. And he painted them all the way back then while we were playing casual games. And I was dry-brushing Space Marines silver over black and calling that done. Like, I can't believe the quality of these models. Anyway, I've been looking at these, and then that you know what? I have Jason's orcs. And they need to be rebased. Because the one thing he never did, because we never did, because no one showed us, was to base the models. I didn't base my first set of models until I went to my first grand tournament. Don't shoot me. And that was <clears throat> college. My, you know, so I played war games for like 10 years before I based a model. So I rebased Jason's orcs. And I now have like a really nice collection of beauty, beautifully painted rogue trader era orcs that are modern based and are perfect for this game. And all of a sudden I have um, a, pretty much the whole suite of villains from the, the bounty hunting scenario. And I think I'm going to go hunting some orcs because in this game you don't have aliens per se, unless you're playing the aliens like the Tyranid aliens out of Quarantine 37. But I can just use these guys as that's a soldier, that's a hacker, that's a sniper, that's a dude with a flamer, there's a guy with a rocket launcher. Like, I have all of those versions of the orcs. I even have a psychic orc, an old weird boy. Perfect, right? So, sorry, I think I went off on a tangent there. But I'm really excited that I have those models to play this game with. And it's, it's almost like I get to play against my old friend from way back when. I get to face those models again, except using the solo rules for this game. Like, it's so exciting that this game lets me do that. And it's taken me to a really interesting, happy, nostalgic place um, right before we come out of lockdown. It's, it's been a really nice, warm feeling, if that makes sense. Pete, am I making sense here or am I just rambling? No, that sounds that sounds like a lot of fun. I think there's something about these rules which inspire old school. So, right? as I said, I I started out ordering a pulp crew, and those those guys are coming. But I happen to be ordering some stuff from GZG for another project. Um, don't shoot me. Um, and mm, what are you talking I about, Pete? Just, we never order anything. <laughs> just looking at um, their 25 mil Stargrunt stuff. I mean, this is really old school. Yes. Um, 25 mil GZG Stargrunt. And I just went, those, you know, I'm never get, I can't think of another game where you'd use those, but right. like these very old school style minis. And I thought, yeah, I'll pick some of those up. They'd make a great little crew. So 
I picked up some new Anglican um, Confederation figures to make another Star Grunt crew, and I picked up a couple of other figures to make some pirates um, as well to oppose them. But I don't know. There's something about the freedom this game gives you that um, maybe our, our particular age as well, but takes you to the um, old it sort of inspires old school uh, gaming thoughts when you when you pick up these rules. Yeah, right. I, I wonder if it's almost because it, maybe it's because they have that strong role playing feeling to them. Um, takes us back to those classic books. Uh, almost reminds me of Star Frontiers and, as I said, Rogue Trader. Um, it also took me in another direction, and I looked at the because. <laughs> I literally looked one shelf over, and there was Star Wars Legion models, uh, a game that I have not been playing a lot because of lockdowns, uh, but would love to, and just went, here's another whole set of models I can play this game with. And you could easily do, you know, the 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 pirates who in this game are sort of like the Federation or the Empire or whatever. They're like the big bads in this universe. You could easily run stormtroopers or imperial soldiers as as that and then you know all you you could use the plucky rebels as your crew or you could come up with your scum and villainy models and really go to town especially using i have all those 3d printed skull forge models that i some of which i painted up which are perfect for this where you're just sort of on the fringe of society and you know running jobs to make money which is exactly the rule you know the the, the fluff out of the rules, but is also, man, lends itself so well to, uh, and yes, I was watching Bad Batch, and yes, that also gave me some inspiration for this. But man, so much fun, right? Yeah, uh, and as someone with a 3D printer, I must admit that I'm, I, it's like, there's a whole range of stuff you can do, but one of the things I've been looking for is a project to do some Knights of the Old Republic figures yes. with. And this seems like um, actually a very good vehicle for playing Knights of the Old Republic. Brilliant. Yes, 100%, right. And it being Halloween, Darkfire Games last year put out uh, Zombie Stormtroopers. And I was very excited, and I bought a set. And I was wondering what to do with them. Turns out, if I'm playing with Star Wars models, and I have now have Zombie Stormtroopers, perfect, and Darkfire just put out... In the last couple of days, another set of files. Now you can get zombie scout troopers. You can get zombie officers. They did a couple officers last year. Now you can get a full set, including a big fat one that looks awesome. And <laughs> um, they did uh, a couple more poses of stormtroopers so you can have uh, more variety in your force. And I'm like, oh, oh I need more of these. So uh, at some point, I'm going to have to do an entire... I don't know if you would call it an army of zombies, but I'm going to have a wall of stormtrooper zombies. I'm just, I, yeah, not sure how I'm going to do it. It's probably going to take me forever, but I'm very excited about it. I like the idea. Nice. Well, Pete, it is Halloween. And yes, we can probably talk romantically about Stargrave forever. Before we switch gears... Is there anything else you wanted to say about Stargrave? I th I just had a blast playing it. I'm looking forward to doing more. You? Uh, look, I'm all on board with that. I'm looking forward to not only playing it more, but I'm also looking forward to playing it with an opponent um, and get someone equally uh, sneaky and abusive of their crew on the other side of the table from me. <laughs> right? And you can play competitively or uh, uh, 
together uh, cooperatively uh, in the zombie or alien missions. There are additional missions for those as well. Entire, um, you know, trees of scenarios that interconnect and link. So, yeah, definitely going to have to do that, right? Where two rival crews are uh, trying to fry and loot at the same time. Meanwhile, zombies or aliens. (sighs) This sounded so good. As I said, it is Halloween, and if we're it is Halloween, and we've done zombies, and we're kind of tiptoeing around aliens, why don't we get to some proper scary monsters? And while we're talking Joe McCullough, let's talk about his next game. Now we mentioned this in the intro of the show. In a couple of weeks, we're getting a brand new game from Joe McCullough, and it looks awesome. The Silver Bayonet. It is gothic horror during the Napoleonic War. And it's, you have your unit of soldiers who have somehow gotten involved in this sort of larger supernatural conflict that's happening during the Napoleonic Wars. And yeah, you're hunting monsters, um, you're competing against other crews, you're searching, uh, sorry, other units of soldiers, you're searching for clues to hunt the big bads. This sounds awesome. Awesome. I have to admit, I've never been a Napoleonic guy, but damn, I just bought my first British soldiers. <laughs> Brad buying Napoleonics. What the, what's the world coming to? <laughs> oh, I know, man. I was like, what did I just do? Like, what? Uh, Pete, I know you're excited about this well as well. Um, am I explaining this right? Would you add anything to that? No, other than the fact that I, I am also very excited and have pre-ordered both the book and uh, it's the French um, unit from our friends at North Star. No, Brilliant. not a lot else to add. Yeah, I. Uh, oh, I'm glad you went with the French. I almost went French. I went British instead. Uh, so I, uh, I got the the range because you can get a unit from them of uh, of special veteran models that you can use for this game, and then they have all sorts of additional add-ons. And so I got uh, an extra handful of red coats to go with it. Uh, and given that I already have a perfectly attired vampire model from Games Workshop from back in the day and a handful of zombies and some werewolf models and whatever else in my collection already, a mummy and cultists and all this mumbo jumbo. So I was very excited and I was like, oh, now I just need something to hunt them. So I needed my unit. I, I, I have about a million places to start with this, but let's start with some of the big differences and similarities between the game we just talked about and this new game. Now, this is not another sort of, I don't want to say that Stargrave is a rehash of Frostgrave because it's not. It is very different, but it is similar in some of the mechanics, right? This is a very different game. For first and foremost, you have only eight models. You have your captain, or your officer, I should say, and then you have seven additional characters. Now, remember a minute ago, guys, where I said I really wished in Stargrave I could have more personality to the, to the grunts? In this game, you do. You only have one officer, but you don't group. He doesn't help your squad to group activate like in the other Frostgrave, Stargrave games. The other seven characters are literally that. They are independent characters. They have special rules. They have their own equipment. 
um, they have very different feels between them. And each nation allows you to pull different characters from those archetypes um, into your band. I'm really excited about that, Pete. What about you? Yeah, I mean, the changes all sound um, very interesting. Uh, so I do like the idea of a, a crew that's entirely sort of named characters, for want of a better term. And, you know, I think it just it's going to make the story that little bit more interesting that you're each of your characters is, I guess, is important and perhaps not as disposable as my Stargrave crew was. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll find out, won't we? Um, well, <laughs> let's compare some of the character classes, shall we? Now, I'm going to take a random nation from uh, Silver Bayonet. And from what I understand, there are four nations in the basic book, You ha- or possibly five. You have Prussia, you have Russia, you have the French, obviously, as Pete mentioned, and the English. Am I missing any? Oh, the Spanish. Uh, my understanding. Oh, yes. Sorry. Yeah. I knew there was something else. Yeah. Well, let's look at the characters available for the Prussians, not including officers. We have the art- artillerist. And before you're wondering, no, you can't take artillery pieces in this game. But because you are exploring the landscape in and around Napoleonic battles, you might be um, hunting down something in, in the aftermath of a battle a werewolf, for example, and there may already be a cannon on the tabletop as part of terrain. If you have the artillerist, guess what, kids? That's right. You can fire the cannon. So there's, you could have a doctor, a grenadier, a guard, a heavy cavalryman, and we'll get to cavalry in a minute, infantryman, junior officer, light cavalry, occultist, rifleman, sapper, supernatural investigator, swordsman, tactician and a veteran hunter now if you compare that to russia there are a few similarities as both have grenadiers both have doctors both have the cavalrymen and the infantrymen a junior officer etc but the russians get some different things like werebears sailors you have a supernatural investigator oh no i guess that was in the other list a champion of faith So there's different types of characters depending on the nation. So each nation has its own flavor. But let's say you really want to take a swordsman uh, and, you know, they don't have your nation doesn't happen to have one. For example, I just listed Prussia did not have a swordsman. You can pull a swordsman into your crew. It might just cost a little bit extra. And what's nice about this game, from what I understand, is unlike Frostgrave and Stargrave, where you know you're spending gold and then you're getting gold and you can spend gold again, and it's sort of like you're paying mercenaries almost. In this game, it's you are spending build points, so you're not actually spending gold to create your crew. You, you're recruiting people out of a certain number of points, and then. At the end of the game, you're building experience. You're not just building treasure. It, it, this isn't a treasure hunting game so much as it is supernatural hunting and combat and, and clue hunting, which I think is a really nice, subtle, but important difference. Pete, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I like that narrative emphasis that it's not just go in, grab the gold, go out. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like a bit of uh grab and grab and go but Mm -hmm. um the 
I think that this clearly is obviously aimed at that longer narrative. Um, and yeah, I think that that sounds really good. I mean, I'm obviously someone who's very interested in that whole Napoleonic historical period. And I think that, um, you know, building up a story with your, uh, your figures, noting that, you know, they're all sort of named characters. So you don't just want to, you know, be, changing them swapping them in and out you want to sort of build them up over time i think it sounds really interesting a slightly different approach to the those other two um stargrave and crossgrave where i guess there was that sort of disposable element around the crew i think that in this sort of game you're going to be much more keen to preserve your whole crew um and it's going to be much more about building the story than grabbing whatever's on the table agreed agreed and in this game the the characteristics are familiar if you've played the other ones you have a speed which is your movement you have a melee bonus that you can add to your die roll accuracy which is your shooting you have a defense just just like what you would have in stargrave you have courage which is like willpower from what i understand uh in the other games and again you have health and then you have a recruitment cost so in that way it's a it's the characters though they have more personality more life blown into them the characteristics that we are using mechanically on the tabletop are very similar so there's a familiar feel to this but what's different is as opposed to that opposed test that we talked about where you're rolling d20s in this game you're rolling d10s now, you're rolling 2d10 every time, and you're adding up the results. But rather than it being an opposed test, you're trying to hit a target number. And yes, there are um, bonuses and negatives to this as well, modifiers as, you, as you're rolling. But what's really interesting is the skill versus, is it strength? Am I getting that right? Uh, it's certainly skill. I'm just trying to, I think it is strength. Um, yeah. Let me why <laughs> while we're looking. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting there. But what's interesting is you add them up to get the hit, but then unlike in Frostgrave where the or Stargrave where you would have that like what you rolled and then you're taking away the person's armor. Um, and I think that there was the idea of that that's kind of where the swinginess would come from, was that you could hit, but then the armor blocks it you know, fairly regularly. It just made the armor fairly dependable. In this game, you roll the two 10-sided dice and you add them up. So it's almost like you're rolling one 20-sided. But by having two 10-sided, if you just think about the, the, the rule probability, I've taught this in class, you're more likely to get, or sorry, you're less likely to get outliers on either side. And... Um, depending on the type of weapon, let's say you're, you're using a giant axe or a giant club, you would use the strength dice. So when you're actually going to look at your damage, you're going to only use that one 10-sided dice's results. You're going to add the strength bonus to that strength die result. And then you compare the armor differently. Again, it's a very different mechanic, but I think it will smooth out some of the results, you're sure you're still going to get outlying results. It's a dice game, right? But I think it's going to cause less feel-bads 
What do you think about that, Pete? Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, I'm very interested to see how it works. And just for all of those following along at home, the dice is actually called a power dice, not a strength dice. But, Sorry. Um, mm. No, I don't think, uh, I didn't know that either. But yeah, no, I like the shift to the 10 sided dice. I agree that hopefully it will help managing some of that extreme swinginess. Um, and we'll just have to see, I guess. I'd. I'd have not played this type of game. I mean, there's so many new and interesting things he's doing with this mm-hmm. particular set of rules from what from what we're seeing. I mean, the 10-sided dice, the activation approach, mm-hmm. um, which is really interesting and unique. Um, so he's doing some very interesting things. It'll be interesting to see how they all sort of go together. I mean, the theme for me alone has sucked me in, so I'm certainly going to try it more than once, but uh, all of the changes he's have been previewed do sound like they are at least partially in response to issues that have been mentioned previously. And I, I hesitate to say correctly because I don't think there was anything wrong with the with the old approach. It's just Agreed. trying something different, and um, uh, it sounds like it's going to address some of the issues that I'm certainly. Yeah, and I want to go back to something you said there because I think the the phases of activations is a really interesting mechanic. So in in this game, um, if we if you look at Stargrave when you play it solo, you have sort of half your crew, um, your 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 first mate or your captain goes, and they can get a couple of friends to activate with them if they're close to them. Then it's the monster phase or um, the bad guy phase, whatever the the and the AI sort of move things around. In that case, the zombies go to get you, but then the rest of your crew activates after that. And so it's sort of like you get to you get a little bit before all hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose, and then the rest of your crew is trying to mop up the pieces before the next wave hits. You know, before the next turn happens. What I really like about this game is you have your primary player who's sort of got the initiative that turn. And then you have, it goes, half of the primary player's first phase of activation. Then you have all of the monster phase. Then it's the second player gets to move their entire unit. And then the primary player goes back and gets to move the other half or activate the other half of their unit or whatever is left, right? So I think that's really fascinating. On one hand, the primary player gets in quick, gets in before the monster, gets in before the other player, can can do a few things here and there, but man, they're not going to get to move the rest of their unit until everything else is gone. And I think that will really help mitigate, I don't know, an alpha strike. I, I don't want I don't think this is a game where you would have that kind of thing, but it really does force some interesting tactical thought right like you have to actually strategize oh can i you know what am i going to do here how ambitious am i going to be do i play this defensively whereas the 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 player who isn't the primary player who gets to activate their entire unit at once one i mean they do have to deal with what the monster and the primary player has done before them but they get to move everything and so it, it's I, I think it's i think that is a far more common gaming experience from if you are a standard tabletop game player but the fact that you do have that split primary player activation man that looks like fun it just 
I'm looking forward to seeing what this looks like on the tabletop. Um, what What are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, very much the same. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I mean, it certainly it changes the risk reward calculation. I mean, certainly if you know the you know the monsters, or in this case, what we played, the zombies are going to go last. If you feel a figure's sort of safe, you can you can sort of leave it hanging out there a bit because you know you're going to get to move it again before they re before the monsters really close in mm -hmm. on you. And so having the monsters, you won't know whether the monsters are going to move before you um, in this new approach in Silver Bayonet. So I think it's going to change some of the calculations and um, uh, make, I don't know, whether make people play more cautiously or make people play um, more bold, but certainly I think it's going to make people play differently. Agreed, agreed. And if we think about the Silver Bayonet's time period, what makes it very different from like Stargrave or even Frostgrave, because Frostgrave isn't a fantasy game that has black powder, right? People have crossbows, people have bows, if they're going to shoot or they're going to fire fireballs, right? Um, this is interesting in that, of course, there are you know muskets or rifles, but that you you need to load them. This isn't uh, a hyper-modern game where you have fully automatic weapons. There are no machine guns and flamethrowers in this game. So you need to actually tactically consider, you know, oh, I have to reload this thing. And, it, and I really like how you mark who's fired and who needs to reload by having a little tuft of um, little fluff to put in front of the model to indicate smoke. And that's the indication that the model needs to reload. Visually, brilliant. It's almost like Black Sails uh, by Warlord, where they have, that's how you mark who's fired in that game as well. Brilliant visually. And I think it really ties in with the period, right? So super fun. But you also need to consider, oh, if I fire now, I'm going to have to reload before I fire again. How is that going to work? Uh, and I think that's going to really add... I have, I have to say, I haven't played a lot of games where that's been a mechanic lately. So I think it's going to force some interesting decisions on the tabletop. I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it means you just haven't got this constant move, shoot, move, shoot, move, shoot. It's going to require, you know, if your figure's only got two actions and you've got to spend one of them reloading, what else are you going to do? Mm -hmm. <laughs> or do you carry, start carrying around an unloaded gun um, just because you need to... Uh, move and do something else rather than reload your weapon. Um, so, yeah, it really changes, I think, some of the choice dynamics, from certainly from Stargrave, which is what I've played, where it, it is really just move, shoot, move, shoot um, a lot of the time, or maybe move, use a power. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it just makes those choices a bit more consequential. Um, and from what I can tell, that also works with the fact that I don't think you're facing hordes of monsters. It's more... Right. Um, the, the monsters themselves, not just your crew, are, are more characters than perhaps in some of the other games. Again, yeah, I, I agreed. And I think um, I think it depends. I think there might be a few scenarios where there are, um, just like in Stargrave, where the, the quote-unquote pirates or the Empire or whatever comes storming in um, when there's a disturbance, I think there are like ruffians that can come onto the tabletop uh, and cultists that can appear at different points and things like that. But yeah, you're right. I don't think you're ever going to be facing a horde of dudes. Uh, I think you're more likely going to be hunting the vampire or um, trying to find the hobgoblins or find the ghouls, that kind of thing. Very, 
Bram Stoker hunting Dracula feeling that I'm super excited about. I just, I cannot wait to put this on the tabletop. I think it's going to look visually beautiful um, because, I mean, just think about what this tabletop could look like if you, you know, throw down some gravestones or, you know, the, the aftermath of a, of a big battle, put it on the tabletop, uh, some mausoleums if you're going with the tombstone theme. I think it's just going to look visually beautiful alongside with those gorgeous uh, models that North Stars put together for this. Oh, it's going to look good. And again, it's a small table. It's it's a two and a half by three foot by two and a half by three foot kind of tabletop. There's just, you don't have to fill a giant table with terrain to have a really nice looking tabletop. It's it's really exciting. I, I'm, I'm mm, really, really excited for this. I also love how there's a lot of additional tables in this game that you can refer to and roll on as you are uh, looking for clues as random events happen on the tabletop. Um, just having read through some of the things that are, are coming um, or might magically happen on the tabletop, and I don't use the word magically lightly, there's some really rad stuff, really thematic, just to use a word that you used earlier. I think this game is going to be incredibly cinematic, and I can't wait to play it. Ugh! Yeah, I mean, I think Napoleonics are inherently, like, that's what sucks a lot of people into Napoleonics, that they're just so bright and colourful compared to, you know, our World War II or even um, mm-hmm. even something like Stargrave, where in a far distant future, everyone wears a lot of grey. Um, <laughs> yes. So the, and the other thing, too, is not just the Napoleonic figures themselves being very colourful, colorful and it's the you know the classic monsters that i'm really mm-hmm. keen on seeing so you know classic looking ghosts classic looking vampires classic looking uh zombies um and things like pixies goblins that sort of thing um that you just i guess as historical well i mean historical players obviously you don't see it but i guess i, I just i quite like that very classic monster look rather than the sort of stylistic monsters you sometimes see from the, I guess the likes of um, big game companies where they've had to sort of reinvent it for their own IP whereas I'm you know really keen on seeing some uh, vampires that look like they step straight out of Bram Stoker mm-hmm. um, rather than really sort of stylistic type so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the monsters as much as I am the um, what I'm sure will be lovely Napoleonic figures and it's just such a people i guess certainly world war ii players like us don't often appreciate also that the napoleonic wars were actually world wars i mean they were fought in so many different environments so many mm-hmm. different places one of the one of the ones that attracted me in particular was the french and the whole um haitian um mm-hmm. potential there um as a as an area to explore um so i think that um, as people dig into the whole Napoleonic horror aspect, they're going to find a whole bunch of different ways of using it. I mean, just for example, I've a friend of mine and I are deep into the French and Indian wars, and it's a bit before the Napoleonic wars, but I think well, I'm pretty sure the game's going to be easily adaptable. So I think we're going to be playing French and Indian war, um, silver bayonet. Yes. Um, where, you know, in the wilds of France, in the wilds of, sorry, Canada, I'm sure there's, uh, 
you know, um, a bondable snowman and mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> plenty of large direwolves and that sort of thing. So I think they're just, and there's going to be plenty of really interesting ways to use these rules. Exactly. Oh man, you well said. Um, I'm. Let me read a couple of the entries from the invest. What happens if you investigate? Because it, it uses playing cards, interestingly, and depending on the card you pull up, a different result will happen on the table. Um, you could find, and of course, there are special rules and um, effects that happen with each one of these. But just the names of them um, just ties to those those monsters that you were talking about a second ago. Um, the severed, partially gnawed limb, uh, strange claw marks, a mutilated corpse, strange footprints, a hobgoblin randomly ar- arriving, um, fog, you know, a, a terrible sense of dread. Uh, so good. But it made me think, while you were talking about the French and Indian War, and oh, that got me thinking about, I would love to do a like a, a naval party that's landed where you have like a ship's captain or a ship's officer, like a lieutenant with some Marines and some sailors as your basic dudes with, you know, the doctor and, you know, maybe a supernatural investigator or something like that. Um, maybe it's because I desperately have, I've been wanting to watch um, Master and Commander again recently, but that really just like that really calls to me. I think that might be a fun way to go in this game. I think I might need to play it once or twice first. But, uh, Pete, what else are you excited about this? Because there's a lot of a, a lot of things to be excited about. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess you know we haven't actually got the book in our hand. I think it's important to say. So. True. But um, I mean, it it just looks, as you say, visually so good. But um, I'm particularly excited. I have my. I've gone with French, as I mentioned. So I've got the French guys from North Star coming, uh, along with some cultists and some demons. Nice. Um, but my um, my normal regular French army, I guess you'd say, for real Napoleonics, is actually um, French uh, naval infantry, so sailors um, or hey. slash marine. So I I've had some very similar thoughts to you. I you know the idea of a a landing party um, on a strange island or a strange coastline somewhere yes. or lost in the fog and run aground i think it's a great place to start um so i like it's the stories you think of in your head and i look at my monsters collection like i went through a um a steampunk phase a while ago so i've got quite a number of classic um looking monsters so i look mm-hmm. at my um my vampire and my werewolves and i'm thinking oh, i can't wait to get them on the board and um, mm-hmm. try them out and see how it goes. But it, it's really, you know, as always, I'm thinking, what am I going to build next? What what mm-hmm. additional monsters do I need? And and Joe's books always do this to you. Like he gives this great list. Um, but I think the interesting thing is that there is monster construction rules in Silver Bayonet, which is mm-hmm. something I'm really looking forward to digging into because I've got some, oddities out there like i've got flying monkeys from eureka mm-hmm. i think they'd make a really interesting like you land on a desert island suddenly yes. there's monkeys with scimitars um and i've got some figures from the likes of malifo which again i think you know some really great monsters in there so it's just you know the opportunity to take and use figures that you've got in 
in new and interesting ways and some figures I've never quite found a use for, like my flying monkeys. So I thought I bought them on the, on the strength of who doesn't want flying monkeys, mm-hmm. but I haven't found a use for them previously and um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be able to work them into this game somehow. Man, I can't wait to see those on the tabletop. Those will be awesome. Well, I got to say, I, I'm also excited about there's 10 scenarios in this book. Now, Stargrave and Frostgrave both come with 10 scenarios each. And the just the scope and scale of the, the base scenarios in the games are great. And knowing Joseph, you know he's going to put out additional scenarios later. But wait, there's more. Um, there's four additional solo play scenarios. And given his recent success at writing... I think we'd both agree, success at writing solo scenarios. It's really exciting to see those in the base game for this because he wrote a lot of the solo stuff for Stargrave, for example, both Quarantine 37 and Dead or Alive that we talked about earlier after Stargrave had been written. Uh, but because be- because of the global pandemic and a lot of people were locked down and people wanting solo play, I mean, he'd already come up with solo rules, obviously, for Rangers of Shadow Deep and for Frostgrave. Um, but, you know, adding those to Stargrave was an idea that he'd wanted to do. He said that the last time he was on the show, but, you know, didn't make the book and it wasn't a finished part of the game. It was added on later, whereas this was added at the time. It was a consideration. It was something that he wanted the system to do from day dot. Not to say that the solo rules don't work in Stargrave. I think they work great. I'm just really excited to see that 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 more core integration, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so excited. 14 of Joe McCullough's style scenarios, plus scenarios, creation rules, the monster creation rules that you mentioned a second ago, all of the different options for this game. <sighs> I'm excited for Silver Bayonet. Can't wait. Can't wait. We're going to have to come back after we play it a couple times, Pete, and talk about what happened because uh, it's going to be pretty exciting, right? Yep. Really looking forward to it. And um, it's uh, just one of those games that grabs you just on theme alone. So, mm-hmm. and knowing, having just recently played the Stargrave and knowing Joe's reputation, I am sure this is going to be one of my big games next year. Amen to that. Amen to that. I think on that note, uh, Pete, is there anything else that you want to share with, uh, with with us about Silver Band at Halloween? Anything else? One thing I will slip in for our good friends at Eureka Miniatures here in Australia. Um, when you're looking at Silver Bayonet, um, dig deep into Eureka's website. There's a range of figures called Napoleon Blowing Apart, which is uh, zombie Napoleonic um, French infantry, including a zombie Napoleon. Um, so... If you need um, some really thematic uh, zombies, I recommend those from Eureka. They're uh, lovely figures. That is brilliant. I had no idea that was a thing. Oh, man. Uh, Every time you come on the show, I learn something cool, man. Thank you so much. I'm in my wallet does not thank you because I'll be looking at that later tonight. (laughs) Well, on that note, ladies and gentlemen, happy Halloween. I hope that all of your candy is tasty. Uh, and that y'all stay safe out there during these crazy and wild times. 
Pete, thank you so much for you know coming on, man. It's always awesome talking shop, and thank you for being such a good sport and agreeing to play Stargrave solo with me, if that makes sense, uh, and then talking about a game that isn't even out yet. Um, you are a champion, sir. Thank you, as always. Had a blast, as always, Brad. Oh, thank you, thank you, and thank you for you. Yes, you, the listener, the person who's listening to this right now. As always, uh, I, I'm just blown away that you have taken the time year after year. Uh, if you are someone who's been along for the ride or if you've just joined us today, no matter what, I'm blown away that you've taken the time to listen to this podcast today. This is just me talking about games, which is something that I love to do. Um, I've recently been asked again by many people, do I have a Patreon? No, I do not. Um, I, I don't believe in asking people uh, for money for something that I, I do as a hobby. Now, I know some people do this professionally and they, they need that income. You know, that I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It is. I don't think that at all. I, I just think for me, this is something I do for fun. And I'm just super excited that you guys are enjoying it and listening to all the people who have messaged the Facebook page recently. That's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E with ideas for shows uh, and just feedback about the, the guests that we've had on. So many of you reached out with the Rick Priestley episode. Thank you for listening to that, guys. It's always a real treat to have Rick on, and I was just really excited about some of the things that he said in that, that interview and all the topics that we got to touch on. I'm hoping he'll come back soon. Again, if there's someone out there that you think that I should talk to, give us a hoy. Uh, and we will have a chat, and we'll cover the games that you want to hear, slash the games that we enjoy playing. But anyway, when I start rambling about that, I think it's time to go, and it's time to go with what our old buddy Casey always says. When you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope that your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Happy Halloween. Good night.